This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Gentlemen, the Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour here on this very special Thanksgiving Day. Hope that you have the very best Thanksgiving ever. We're going to get started today with our resident historian who is with us, the official historian of the Boast Nearly a Rush Hour program, Dean Carianis. Dean, welcome. How are you? Dean, by the way, used to work with us over at Rush Limbaugh, the Rush Limbaugh program. He was one of the producers on the website of the business. He is a historian. He's also an accomplished author. He runs a, a website. Dean, tell everybody about your website. <laughs> wow, you're making me sound really impressive. Yeah, we go way back to Rush Limbaugh, the television show. I, I would have to guess people would rather hear a little more of the Brothers Johnson than all this, but, you know, that, that's <laughs> sweet music to lead into. I, I just want to listen when you're on the air, which is a sign of a great host. But, yes, I host the History Author Show. You can find that at historyauthor.com, and it's also I'm on YouTube. I try to produce those up like we used to back in the Rush Limbaugh, the television show days, a little bit of humor combined with this serious discussion of issues. Also, I'm a columnist for the New York Sun. You can find me there at nysun.com, and I have something up for Thanksgiving. And uh, generally, I, I am very fortunate to have worked for Rush because he encouraged all of us, as you well know, to explore all of these things on the outside. And so that's what I've done. I've I really tried to I really tried to live up to that, to be a Renaissance man and, and have some excellence. So I appreciate you with that great lead-in. Well, Dean, I appreciate you being here. Now, you said you have something up for Thanksgiving in the New York Sun. Tell us about what you have up. Well, I want to talk about something that you're familiar with and those of you out there who listen to Rush all those years are familiar with, and that's William Bradford and the original story, the true story of Thanksgiving, uh, get a little deeper into that and talk about how it was really their experiment with socialism, with collectivism, with what today the buzzword is equity, and how they tried that. They tried to make everybody work for an equal share. It just didn't work. There was a lot of suffering and starvation. And when you read the young men felt that they shouldn't have to work for the wives and children of others, and so why should they bother? You, you can see human nature is really unchanged and how – We've had centuries of people. They they always do this thing. That was a column I wrote in the Washington Times about, well, true communism has never been tried. Like, well, how convenient. It has been tried. It's been tried again and again. Doesn't work. Leads to suffering. And that was the case with the Pilgrims. And it was. And William Bradford writes it down and it, and sends it back home and is telling people. So it's written right there. And then when he lets people keep some of what they've earned by the sweat of their brow. There's more food than they know what to do with, and they go and they start trading with the native tribes, and they 
they give birth to this wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and really set us on the road to this wonderful country through the Mayflower Compact. So that, I wanted to write about that and just share it with people because I, I think even though we got to hear it every year from the greatest of all time, that, that story can't be retold enough. It's part of our common heritage, and on Thanksgiving is a great day to revisit it. Later in the show, I'm going to actually read from the transcript. I'm going to read the transcript of the last time that Rush did this on the air. So um, you will hear the full story in the in the, the way that Rush, well, not the way, only Rush could do it, but I'm going to actually use the transcript to tell the same story that Rush told, his words, and I'll just be uh, delivering that a little bit later in today's program. Let me ask you this, uh, uh, Dean. There have been any number of leftists that are totally ticked off and were ticked off the fact that Rush actually brought this story to light. I I think I sent you a piece earlier in the week from Salon that I dug up from years ago. They were just, oh, this is a bunch of lies. It's a, and as I read through it, they were acknowledging that every that the, the key points that Rush talked about everything was was accurate. But what they what they I think objected to, they tried to uh, nitpick over their interpretation of whether this was really socialism or not. And of course it's it's the socialist of course it's socialism this idea of collectivism put everything in one pot and let's divide it equally and it, it takes away individual initiative and so forth. It's so true and you you mentioned that and it reminds you of another great rush thing from that 2015 salon piece is what you're referencing and it, it's well did William Bradford lied to his diary and I'm trying to remember who it was <laughs> the story of that that guy with Clinton right he one of the, right, one of the Josh, Josh Steiner, I think his name was, uh, who, who, <laughs> like, who testified well, before no, no, Congress. They got him up to Congress, and they said, "You wrote this in your diary," and he said, "No, no, I lied. I, I lied in my diary. <laughs> I lied in my diary. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the case here. Well, this is William Bradford's story. This is the primary source, which is something that I love to do on the History Author Show, also in my New York Sun columns. Is go back to that first source, see it. Our reporting would be so much better all around if people would just go back to it. And you can disagree with what the the man wrote, William Bradford, but you can't disagree with the first-person accounts again and again because these people were writing back to England. They were keeping a record. I think we tend to look at the pilgrims like we're watching a sci-fi movie. There was a movie with uh, Adam West of Batman TV show fame, and he goes to Mars, and he's the only man there. And but that's how we think of them, and that's not the case. I interviewed an English journalist, Rebecca Fraser, about her book, The Mayflower, The Families, The Voyages, and The Founding of America. And she talked about how these people were writing back and forth all the time, and they were talking about what worked and didn't work and how they were eking out a living, what, what it was that they did to set up a society where they could thrive, how they were dealing with Native tribes who had been contacted before, and all of those things remind us that history is living. It's just as if someone took a snapshot today, where would they look, right? They, they could tell all kinds of stories. And I think with that, to be able to go back and hear William Bradford speak to us and then to hear through Russia's words with his analysis, it's, it's completely valid. And the fact that people don't like that that's the truth, well, tough, suck it up, because that's, that's how history is. Sometimes you go back and you don't find exactly what you want to find in history and that's just the truth 
They tried socialism. They tried communism. They tried collectivism and guaranteeing equity, and they almost starved to death. So it, if we're not going to learn from that, then what's the point? And what's the point in Thanksgiving, which I think is what a lot of these people want to get rid of, people who are hostile to America, people who don't understand it. So it's up to all of us, I think, on this holiday to remember that and be thankful for the fact that they tried and discarded it and left this great record we can point to and say, hey, this didn't work. It's never worked. You know, when I was in school, the thing that we were taught was that Thanksgiving was a celebration um, where the pilgrims thanked the um, Native Americans for saving their butts, right? And, and, you know, maybe God was mentioned in the course of it, but it certainly wasn't the emphasis wasn't the emphasis wasn't that the pilgrims were sharing their harvest with the Indians because of they their this this new experiment that they tried that worked which was capitalism and they were in and they were thanking God and that was the that was the emphasis on the day to thank God that they had survived thank God for their bounty not so, and of course they were thankful for the help that they got from the Native Americans who did and Rush points this out who did teach them how to fish in this new land who did when they came here was completely barren who did teach them how to hunt beaver and so forth so uh it's just it's it's kind of remarkable that the left will take issue with what is well documented as the origins of this incredible holiday they had so much plenty. That was the thing. And the word that he uses is heaps, William Bradford does. You know, like it, brought, it brought forth in heaps. That's, that's the thing and, or that Rush uses in, in the True Story of Thanksgiving from his 1993 book. And what did they do? They had more food than they could eat themselves. So what would you do with it? If you have a surplus of anything, then you'd, you'd sell it, right? You'd share it. You'd trade it. And so that's what they do. And other States at the time were envious, so there weren't states, obviously, there's no U.S. yet, but the founder of Rhode Island, he says he's envious of the fact Massachusetts, the, the pilgrims there have such great relationships with the Wampanoag tribe and with the other native tribes that they're interacting with. And they end up dominating the fur trade because capitalism, it, it enables people to live out that idea of democracies don't go to war with each other. The, the people are prosperous and happy. And so that's, that's a story, I think, of Thanksgiving, that people are so anxious to get to the, well, there's collective guilt because everything was horrible when, when people arrived from Europe. Somehow they never really talk about the Spanish, which I find fascinating because that, that's where you get your real genocidal horrors in, in Central America. But the, the idea that everybody had collective guilt, that everybody and every interaction with Native people was horrible, just isn't the case. And that's just as wrong, as I said to Ms. Fraser when I interviewed her, the idea of the racist genocidal image is just as bad as the noble savage, that Native Americans never did anything wrong. And I like something down the middle that's accurate because that's what most of history is. Just as today, if you looked at history of, of one state and what's going on there, you can't extrapolate it to everybody alive at the time. And I, I think that's much harder for people to do, so maybe they resisted. But it definitely was the case. There were some great relationships and some there was intermarrying and there were some terrible relationships with Native tribes and some horrible first contact. But that's life. We, we have exactly that today. We just spent 20 years in Afghanistan relearning that lesson. 
And uh, President Biden gets punished for his arrogance on that, thinking you could you could guess and impose this. And that that goes back to several uh, administrations. So uh, that's the story of Thanksgiving. And I think I, I don't know, I, I would rather focus on some of the positives, not at the exclusion of the negatives, but at least give it its due and realize that this was a very high point in the relationship between Native Americans and those people who came from Europe fleeing religious persecution, that were refugees, that were migrants, that were looking to be able to just breathe free. And it was very different from what we're taught in school, which is two-dimensional. And maybe that's fine for grade school kids. I can understand that. But today we should really love this story because it's so inspiring and so much fun, and it's really rewarding. Let me just mention two things. Number one, things were not stable in England. This was King Charles I who ended up beheaded because of, and, and this is when Oliver Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell came in as the de facto dictator of England shortly after, after Charles I was beheaded. And so Europe was in tumult. Let me, and the second thing I wanted to mention was the Spanish who you brought up. The oldest city in America is in the, in what we call America, our America is St. Augustine, Florida. And that now, people are pouring through the Spanish archives for the very first time in ages. And what they're finding is that St. Augustine was a robust city that was multicultural. There were people from all over Central and South America, as well as some of the native tribes from North America that were mingling and doing commerce with each other and thriving in St. Augustine, Florida. Quite interesting. Yeah, I have some relatives still in St. Augustine. There's a Greek shrine there. It's the, it's the, it's the oldest city. I know there's others that, that claim it, but uh, it has a Greek church, and that's where the Greeks first arrived, and now you can't get rid of us. But uh, <laughs> first diner, first diner there, and then we expanded to, to the whole country. But yeah, so there you go. I mean, Greeks are not what you think when you think way back in colonial times, and there they are. You know, you. I think we have this very Hollywood vision where they edit those people out, and with the, you know those people who don't fit our view, we think, well, there can only be so many people. There's got to be this person, that person. It's all. It's all just stereotypes. It, if it's badly told, Hollywood, which most of it is. And plus, who wants to go back if you're a Hollywood screenwriter and read, like even Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? I interviewed Charles Learson about his recent book on Butch, and he said they, the guy who wrote the famous film, he didn't even bother to go and look at anything. He read a comic book, literally, from the 60s about Butch, and that was as much research as he did. And Goodness. yet it's a great movie, right? But it's not, it's not great history. It's bad history because it's not really right. Wow. Now, you have a Thanksgiving story that I'm waiting to hear from the Rush days, and I, I want to hear what this is, Dean. Yeah, it's rare that I can that I can share one with somebody like yourself who's been there for so long, uh, longer than I was, and I started in 95. But every year, Cookie and Coco, who, again, folks will be familiar with those two producers of the Rush Limbaugh show, they would take off because they're married and they would like to have a Thanksgiving together. And they worked so hard during the year that they wanted to have vacation time and a little extra extended. And Rush would sometimes joke about that on air. But that was great. I loved that week because it was my chance to work one-on-one -on -one with Rush closer than I would other years. And also with you because you would you would talk to me and we would, we would keep everything going. It was so much fun. And Rush loved Thanksgiving because he was so thankful for his life. He also loved radio. So what, what brings together radio 
especially radio in the 70s when he was a DJ, and Thanksgiving. Well, it's the 1970s, that's 79 Turkeys Away episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. And I would always mention it to Rush every year because he was a DJ in Pittsburgh, not far from Cincinnati. To me, by my view, they're, they're very similar cities geographically. I'm, I'm sure that they're different to, to people there. But I thought, man, Rush must have some great stories about radio that that will spark that he'll tell on the air because it was always kind of a last day of school vibe on Thanksgiving. And he, he must just love that Turkey's Away episode. He's got to have some great stories about old disc jockeys, especially since that was based on a real event at WQXI in Atlanta where they tried to drop turkeys out of a plane and spread. Of course, they, they learned with the famous line, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. So every year I would ask him, he would say, he'd say maybe maybe this year, you know, I'll get to it. He would kind of just, you know, he was busy. You know how it was with Rush. He'd send him something. He was getting 10,000 emails an hour. And, you know, he would use it or he would not use it, which was right. completely fine with me. So so this goes on and on because every year I'm the Thanksgiving turkey. And so it goes on. And finally, about two years before he passed, two Thanksgivings, I said, well, I'm, I'm really hoping this is going to be the, the turkey, oh, turkey's away episode. You're going to give us some WKRP analysis. And he says, Dean, after all this time, I have to confess to you. And ladies and gentlemen listening out there, this is the first time I've told James the punchline. Rush says, I never watched WKRP. You're the, you're the greatest radio host of all time. You you were there in the seventies. You were a DJ. You were you you wanted to be Johnny Fever. I know it. How did you never watch that show? Especially all the all the unemployment years. Russ gets fired several times in his life. You never sat down in Channel Eleven and watched a marathon of WKRP. He says, "Yeah, that that's why I, I never wanted to tell you because I knew." And <laughs> just emailing me back and forth like you'd lose you'd lose faith. In me, and I, I said, uh, you know, now I think it's okay to tell that story. But man, did that! That was probably the only time Rush really disappointed me. <laughs> not not because it was anything on him, but I was so looking forward to the great story that I thought he would have on that great episode. I love it, Dean. Our time is up here. Thanksgiving Day, my friend, my dear friend, and resident historian of Boston Early's Rush Hour. Thank you for joining us. On Boston Nerdly's Rush Hour Thanksgiving Day 2022. Thank you. Thank you. Snowflakes that stay on my nose and I let it lashes. Silver white winters that melt into spring. Oh, these are the view of my favorite This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Well, this Thanksgiving, we decided to do, I decided to do something. You know, all the years we were with Rush, we, the Rush crew, we enjoyed Thanksgiving most of all. Not only was it the start of the Christmas season, but also Rush brought to the table something new that has now spread across America, and that is the true story of Thanksgiving. He used to do it, his voice, reading from his book, The Way Things Ought to Be, and it became a tradition. I want to carry on this tradition by reading from Rush's transcript, and I hope eventually we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people reading Rush's story of Thanksgiving to their families, to their friends, in their own voices, so that this story, the true story of Thanksgiving, becomes linked with Rush Limbaugh's legacy for generations to come. Now, Rush started out the story of the pilgrims, begins in the early part of the 17th century, the Church of England, under King James I, was persecuting any and everyone who did not recognize the church's absolute civil and spiritual authority. And by the way, King James, <laughs> this is James speaking, Golden Bow, was beheaded. And that is a whole nother deal in English history. But to continue, those who challenged Ecclesiastical authority and those who believed strongly in freedom of worship were hunted down. This is England in the 1600s. They were hunted down and imprisoned and sometimes executed for their beliefs. A group of separatist people who didn't want any part of this first fled to Holland. They liked wooden shoes and cheese, and they established a community. They were there for 11 years, and they were in Holland. After 11 years, about 40 of these separatists who liked wooden shoes and cheese, agreed to make a perilous journey to the New World. They had heard about it, some new exciting place that hadn't been developed. They knew they would face hardships, hardships like you and I don't know. Rush at that point told the audience, hey, I'm not preaching at you. This is, this is real. They didn't know the kind of hardships we faced. They didn't know the hardships. We don't know the hardships these people endured. We're way too advanced now. People who lived in the 1600s would not believe the lives we live today. They try to explain to them jet travel, flight. They wouldn't understand it. They knew, though, that they would face hardships. But paramount importance to them was living freely and worshiping God according to the dictates of their own consciousness, their own consciences, and their own beliefs. On August 1st, 1620, the Mayflower set sail, and it carried a total of 102 passengers, including 40 of these separatists, the pilgrims. There were just 40 of them. They were led by William Bradford on the journey across the Atlantic. You talk about something frightening and scary. The Mayflower was not much bigger than a 50-foot boat, and 102 people were on it. On the journey, Bradford set up an agreement, a contract, if you will, that established just and equal laws for all 40 members 
of the pilgrim community, irrespective of their religious beliefs, didn't matter what their religious beliefs were. These are the laws they were agreeing to live by. Where did these revolutionary, revolutionary ideas, these laws come from? Well, we're talking about the Mayflower Compact. That is what Bradford wrote. The Mayflower Compact derived from the Bible. The pilgrims were a people completely steeped in the lessons of the Old and New Testament. They were devoutly religious people. No matter what else is said about them, and even that is denied, they were devoutly religious. They looked to the ancient Israelites for their example, and because of the biblical precedent set forth in Scripture, they never doubted their experiment would work. They never doubted they would get to the new world. They never doubted that once they got there, they would thrive. The journey was long. It was arduous. It was dangerous. And when they finally landed, when the pilgrims finally landed in New England in November, according to William Bradford's detailed journal, they found a cold, barren, desolate wilderness. Imagine New England as it exists today, as nothing but rocks, forests, undeveloped nature in November, and it was getting colder. There were no friends to greet them. There was no shelter of any kind other than hiding under a tree. There was nothing, folks. There was desolate. There were no hotels. There were no inns. There were no places to clean up. There were no houses. This was real hardship. The sacrifice they made for the freedom to worship was just beginning. During that first winter, remember, they arrived in November. During that first winter, half of them, including William Bradford's own wife, died of starvation, of sickness, exposure to the elements. Now we're getting close to what you were taught in school. When spring finally came, and by the way, writing that doesn't do it justice. Spring didn't just finally come. It was a survival. It was an act of survival that you and I can't possibly relate to or understand. American Special Forces can. Military people who've been trained can understand what the pilgrims were. You and I can't. We've never done anything. We've never done anything like that first winter in the New World. They survived it. Spring finally came. They did meet the Indians, the Native Americans who were there, who did help them in planting corn and fishing for cod. They showed them where the beavers were so the beavers could be skinned for coats and other things. You animal rights people are not going to like this part of the story, but it happened. But even this, even with the degree of assistance from the Indians, the Native Americans, there wasn't any prosperity yet. They had the Mayflower Compact. They had these laws they were living by, and there was no prosperity. And I wonder why. Now, it's important to understand here, folks, because this is where modern American history ends with the Indians teaching the pilgrims how to eat, how to fish, how to skin beavers and all that. That's where it ends. And that's the feel-good story. But it doesn't even get close to the true story. You know, Thanksgiving is actually explained in some textbooks as a holiday for, what the pil for which the pilgrims gave thanks to the Indians for saving their lives. It wasn't that. That happened. But Thanksgiving was a devout expression of gratitude the pilgrims, to God for their survival. 
and everything that was a part of it. Now, this is what Rush Limbaugh, by the way, would read every Thanksgiving, and that's what I'm doing now. Now, here's the part of the story that's been omitted. The original contract the Pilgrims entered into Holland, they had sponsors. They didn't have the money to do this trip on their own. They had sponsors. There were merchant sponsors in London and in Holland, and these merchant sponsors demanded everything, that everything that the Pilgrims produced in the New World would go into a common store, a single bank, if you will, and that each member of the Pilgrim community was entitled to one share. So everybody had an equal share of whatever was in that bank, all the land they cleared, of all the houses they built, all that belonged to the bank, to the community as well. And they were going to distribute it equally because they were going to be fair. So all of the land that they cleared, all the houses they built, belonged to everybody, belonged to the community, belonged to the bank, belonged to the common store. Nobody owned anything. They just had an equal share in it. It was a commune. The Pilgrims established a commune, essentially, forerunner of the communes we saw in the 60s and 70s out in California. They even had their own organic vegetables, by the way. Yep, the Pilgrims, forerunners of organic vegetables. Of course, what else could there be? No such thing as processed anything back then. Now, William Bradford, who had become the governor of this colony because he was the leader, recognized that this wasn't going to work. This was costly and destructive, and it just wasn't working. It was collectivism. It was socialism. It wasn't working. The first winner had taken a lot out of people's lives. The manpower was greatly reduced, so William Bradford decided to take bold action, which Russ says he will describe as after the commercial break, and we will join right after we take a break here. On WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. And we are, what are we doing? We're celebrating Thanksgiving by reading the words of Rush Limbaugh, who brought the story of the real Thanksgiving to the American people. We'll be back and continue that story in Rush's words right after this. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, back with you here on Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour. Today we're celebrating Thanksgiving Day. Thank you for being part of our Thanksgiving. And we hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We are reading today from a transcript of Rush Limbaugh, the Rush Limbaugh Thanksgiving story. You know, this was a tradition on the Rush Limbaugh show. Rush would read from his book, his first book, The Way Things Ought to Be. And there was a chapter that was devoted to <laughs> dead white guys and, and the history of America and the real history. And in it, he told the true story of Thanksgiving. When we left off, William Bradford had, brought, oh, had come over with the pilgrims. They put everybody in a common store. That was the Mayflower Compact. They wanted to be fair. They wanted everybody to have one common share of stock in everything that happened that the Pilgrims produced. And it bombed. It didn't work. 
There was no prosperity. There was no creativity because there was no incentive. Here's what Bradford wrote about the failure. For this community, so far as it was, to found, to breed much confusion and discontent, they were not happy. In other words, this community was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. What does that mean? In other words, nobody worked the way they set it up, killed and discouraged work. There was no need, Bradford continued, for young men that were most able and fit for labor and service sat around and did nothing. They should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without being paid for it. Why should they do that? So they didn't. That was thought injustice. Why should you work for other people when you can't work for yourself? What's the point? Do you hear what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen? The pilgrims found that people could not be expected to do their best work without incentive. So what did Bradford's community try next? They unharnessed the power of good old free enterprise by invoking capitalism, the principle of private property, all the way back in the 1600s. It was incredible. Every family was assigned its own plot of land and they could do with it whatever they wanted to do. This had very good success, wrote Bradford, for it made all hands industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been, so when profit was introduced, when the opportunity to prosper was introduced, it went gangbusters. That, my friends, is the essence of the true story of Thanksgiving. Now Rush continues, now, this is where it gets really good, folks. If you're laboring under the misconception that I was, as I was taught in school. So they set up trading posts and exchanged goods with the Indians after they had enjoyed this prosperity. It was not the Indians that brought them to prosperity. It's not said to insult anybody. The Indians assistance assisted them in their arrival, undeniably. But what led to prosperity for these original settlers was the common store failed. Socialism didn't work. And when they introduced what turns out to be capitalism, they didn't have a name for it. But when they turned loose individual incentive, keep what you produce, sell what you don't need, it went crazy. This is not something they were taught by anybody by self-experience. It was not the Indians. None of this is said to put anybody down. Don't misunderstand. The Indians did a lot of things that helped them, which I'll get into in just a second, but it was their own industriousness. They set up trading posts and exchanged goods with the Indians. They sold stuff to them, and those profits allowed them to pay off their debts to the merchants their sponsors in London and in Holland. And you know what? The success of that colony after they abandoned socialism and tried what was essentially capitalism, the word spread throughout the old world of this massive amount of prosperity there was for the taking in the new world. And guess what happened? The new world was flooded 
with new arrivals. The success and prosperity of the Plymouth settlement attracted more Europeans and began what became known as the Great Puritan Migration. And all it took was prosperity and the word spreading across the Atlantic Ocean of how there was prosperity and it was there for the taking. All you had to do was get there and give it a shot. The lesson is, the true story of Thanksgiving is, that William Bradford and his pilgrim community were thanking God for the blessings on their community after the first miserable winter of a documented failure brought on by their attempt at fairness and equality, which was socialism. It didn't work. Only when they abandoned it did it work. And I need to say it again because I don't want people to misunderstand and get their noses out of joint. The Native Americans, the indigenous people, the Indians, says Rush, whatever you want to call them, were of considerable assistance. And they were friendly when the pilgrims arrived. But they had little, if anything, to do with the prosperity that occurred because that was the result of Bradford and the pilgrim leadership deciding to change their structure, the Mayflower Compact. Now, Indians assisted naturally, I can't deny. I mean, they taught them how to fish and this kind of thing that they didn't know how to do, and that led them to be productive, undeniably so. But it was the pilgrim community itself which experienced this massive prosperity. The word of which spread all the way back to the old world, Europe, across the Atlantic Ocean. And that is the story that Rush Limbaugh would tell every Thanksgiving by and large on his radio program for these many years. Of course, the book that he wrote, The Way Things Ought to Be, was a tremendous smash. If I'm not mistaken, his combined book sales, Rush's, were somewhere in the area of over 20 million copies sold. And once there was that kind of success in conservative books, talk about seeing this story through, once that prosperity was unleashed, word spread among conservatives and everybody and anybody that was a conservative that thought they had something to say started writing books. And we had a resurgence of conservatism in print. That's another part of the Thanksgiving story from my point of view. Russia's telling of the Thanksgiving story spread. It has spread. You can do a Google search on Rush Limbaugh and the Thanksgiving story. You will find so many citations, including for some people say, oh, come on, this is all a bunch of lies. And we're going to talk with, with our resident historian, Dean, about that shortly. But there is no denying that Russia's story of trans giving of thanksgiving about that transgiving no 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 thanksgiving not transgiving thanksgiving russia's story of thanksgiving opened a lot of people's eyes to parts of american history that they had never ever heard about before and because rush limbaugh was the guy 
that brought this to the attention of America, that was so outspoken and so well-researched. And it was in one of his books, and his books were incredibly well-received. That sparked another wave of prosperity across America from authors who also then joined in this new resurgence of conservatism. And that's what Rush Limbaugh almost did single-handedly. If you go back and you look at the number of radio stations he started out with and then grew to over 600 stations at the time of his death, Rush Limbaugh listened to by over 27 million Americans. There was no Fox News before Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh identified for the country that there was a marketplace that was severely underserved. Conservatives, people that thought differently than liberals. And that message resounded loud and clear. America is a far different nation now, for the better, because of Rush Limbaugh. Because we have now a conservative media that grew because of Rush Limbaugh. There will never be another figure in American politics, in American culture, in American media, like Rush Limbaugh. He was unique. And for that, I am so thankful and thankful, all of us that worked with Rush, that we had an opportunity to share and to see that greatness up close. James Golden, A.K. Boston Early, coming back right after this. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush. Rush. James Golden, Bo Snurdly here with you. When I feel Thanksgiving Day. A summer breeze. Bringing us back. And I hear it as it whispers the music of take six with stevie wonder well it causes my heart to fly fighting like an eagle through the sky and i know Love is what Thanksgiving is all about, isn't it? Every year you read stories that families get together and there's tension because of politics. This is one of the days that, yeah, I know politics is bound to happen just like football on Thanksgiving, but you have to get past that stuff. I mean, this is a day that if you have family, if you're with family, that we should all just be grateful to be with family. You know, last, the last two years, three years for me have been filled with death, frankly. As many of you know, you know, right after Rush passed away, which is still a huge loss, that all you have to do is go on the Twitter feed um, that I have, and you'll see every day people say how much they miss Rush, 
what would Rush think about this? What would Rush think about that particular issue? And that that is a hole in our hearts that is still with us. But uh, as some of you may know, three days after Rush passed, I lost my mom. She passed that week too, same week. In fact, it was a, wow, that was a week I'll never forget. My little pet bird, Stumpy, died that Monday. Three days later, Rush passed, and then three days after that, my mom passed. So it was a week that was filled with death. And death of people and, and, and my pet that I felt, you know, what do you feel? You feel so much grief that it's almost overwhelming. Well, this year for me, Thanksgiving is filled with life. My daughter is pregnant, which I'm so eternally grateful for. My niece is pregnant. My great niece is pregnant all at the same time. And it's just a wonderful thing to have life and family. And I'm so grateful for the family that I've had. You know, it wasn't my mom and my dad I describe as perfect parents. They were. They, their love and devotion to their children is what guides me to this day. My dad, of course, I've said many times, a World War II veteran, a Korean War veteran. But for me... When I remember my dad most, I remember that my father was the kindest man that I knew. He was kind, and he taught us that we should be kind to people. My mom was a saint, giving, loving, not only to her children, but to members of her church, to members of the community that we grew up in, St. Albans, Queens, New York and then my extended family, my aunties, my uncles, all of whom I could tell stories about of how wonderful they were, my grandparents on both sides. So God, family, country, among them, of course, most important God that gives us all the blessings of our lives. And those blessings are there if we look hard enough, no matter how desperate the times that we go through family, irreplaceable. If you are blessed enough to have a beautiful family, enjoy them every single moment that you can. Country. We live in the most amazing country that the world has ever seen. A country where even today you can make of yourself what you will and what God wills for you with your determination with your hard work, with your ability to achieve and achieve anyway, no matter what the obstacles are that are in front of you. One of the things that I've learned is to be thankful, whether the outcomes are what you want or whether the outcomes turn out in ways that you didn't want, to be thankful anyway, to achieve anyway, to be thankful anyway. And we live in a country where achievement is often rewarded Sometimes it's even rewarded when it looks like there's very little effort. But certainly we live in a country that we should all be proud to be in. That was Dave Grusin. Thanks song. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye.